am so glad to be back with my church family. It's been absolutely great. So <coughs> uh, we've definitely missed being with you guys, um, but I'm also extremely grateful to our board and our staff and every single one of you who made it possible to give my family and I um, the gift of a period of rest. And I truly did unplug and I truly did take a break. I wrote a little bit about that on our church's blog, so if you want to know a little bit more detail, you can go um, check that out. Um, but I spent a lot of time enjoying my family, I spent a lot of time on the open road riding my motorcycle, and uh, let me tell you, we just have an amazing staff at Word of Grace. Would you agree with that? I just, um, we have an amazing staff. I wasn't worried one bit. Uh, I knew that uh, those guys and gals would uh, just knock it out of the ballpark because I love that our church is not built around the lead pastor. Um, I love that um, because I, I can leave and know that, uh, uh, you know, when I'm on a vacation or a sabbatical or something, that things are going to go uh, really well. And I love that. But rather, our church is built upon the Word of God, first and foremost. And it's built upon faithful men and women like our staff, like Team Wog, and like every single one of you that call Word of Grace your church home, whether you're in person here or whether you're one of our online family, man, it is just fantastic to see the uh, camaraderie, the family, the support, uh, the love, the sharing, the lifting of the load. And uh, I just absolutely love it. It gives me great confidence that this church is built on what God wants, not what on man wants. Amen. And that's just a really good thing. And so it truly is good to be back. I'm refreshed, recharged. Um, I'm ready to share the Word of God with you. Uh, we got a big vision for what God uh, is going to do here at Word of Grace. Just had an awesome, awesome board meeting yesterday. And I, I'm loving getting plugged back in. It was a little weird coming back on Thursday because Thursday was actually my first day back. And we take Friday off as a staff. So like at the end of the day, Thursday after I'd been like bombarded with all this information because I've been completely disconnected. I was like, man, I need a day off you guys. And they were like, oh, whatever. <laughs> but uh, man, it was, uh, it, it was awesome, you guys. And, and let me tell you, I am more um, excited about what God is doing at Word of Grace. And I'm glad that I just get to be a part. It truly is an honor and a privilege to get to be um, your pastor. It really is. And uh, we believe we found our life's calling here we're plugging our life into Word of Grace, and um, man, we just feel like this is where we want to be. Some people got a little nervous with me going on a month-long sabbatical. They're like, does that mean that he's like looking for something else? No. Uh, you guys are, are you, you're my people. You're stuck with me, and, um, and, and, I, and I love the snot out of you, man, and I just think you guys are, I think you're awesome even on your worst days because uh, we're called here, and uh, man, we are planted here, and we feel like that uh, we just want to spend the rest of our lives here doing what God's called us to do, and it is a privilege to get to serve. So I'm refreshed, I'm ready to preach, and uh, why don't we go and let's pray, and then let's get right into the Word today. Does that sound good? All right, so Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for an awesome church family, awesome staff, awesome team WOG, this awesome online church family. Just so grateful, uh, thankful for what you're doing in and amongst us. You are so real and so passionate about us and your church. And it is, it's, it's your church. And so Holy Spirit, I just ask you to speak in me and through me what would bring you glory, not me, and what would refresh and stir and challenge and move the hearts and minds of every single person that may be hearing this message. And I thank you for the results because the results come from you. It's all about you. So we need you, Holy Spirit, to work and to do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in a series called Big Questions, and I have no idea how the sermons have gone, but fingers crossed they all went good. No, I'm kidding. I know, that, I know they went good. Um, I just haven't heard them yet. I've just heard people say they were really awesome. Um, heard, heard some great things about uh, um, all the messages, uh, but most recently the one that Pastor Pete shared and just the vulnerability and the passion that he shared with that it was just great. And, and some of the messages that uh, Pastor Keith and Stephen shared as well, just fantastic. So I'm going to wrap up this series today with a sermon called, Is Jesus Really God? So that's the big question that we want to tackle today. Is Jesus really God? Because when we say that, what we're doing is we're asking a question. We're asking if Jesus was more than just a man. Because if you look throughout history, you won't find very many historians that 
have a huge issue with the reality of Jesus of Nazareth, the man. There are very few. There are a few that try to deny he ever really existed, but they're kind of, you know, a little out there anyways and aren't even accepted by a lot of their peers. But the majority of historians will agree that Jesus was an actual person who walked the earth because there's actually more proof for Jesus Christ walking the earth, Jesus of Nazareth, than there is for Julius Caesar being a real person. And so as you look at just the overwhelming, credible evidence that Jesus of Nazareth was an actual person, no one is really doubting the existence of Jesus of Nazareth, uh, Nazareth the man. There is equally as much historical evidence that Jesus was, uh, he, he lived in Nazareth, he, he was uh, arrested, he was tried, and he ultimately was put to death on a cross. Those are historical things that are accepted as fact. But that's not the question that we're wrestling with in our day. That's not the big question, whether Jesus actually existed. The big question is not, did Jesus of Nazareth exist? The big question is, is Jesus of Nazareth actually Jesus the Christ? Is he God in the flesh, or was he just a good man that did some good things for people that maybe were unexplainable? Or is he actually a deity? Is he, is he really the deity? Is he really God. And so that's the big question that I think in our day and age that we're wrestling with because it is truly Jesus the Christ who is offensive to people when they don't know him, when he, some of the things that he said, some of the things that he did, and if he really is God, he said some things that you and I need to take seriously because it just wasn't Jesus the philosopher speaking, it was God speaking. That changes the level of seriousness in which I should be attentive to what Christ says if he's really God. If he's not, then I can just lump him in with all the other good philosophers and pick and choose the good advice that I want to adhere to. But if he's God, that changes things, man. That puts it at a different level. And now I've got to start, I've got to start thinking differently about when Jesus speaks or, or when I see things in the Bible pointing to Jesus. That should change the weight of what we're doing and what this is about because he's not just a good man. So Christ is not Jesus' last name. Let's start off with that, okay? <laughs> this is going to be the best thing some of you guys hear today, and it's going to set you free. It's actually a title because some people think that <clears throat> Christ, and if that's you, that's okay. If, if you think that, man, there are, are a lot of us who at one time or another have thought that. We thought that Christ was Jesus' last name. You know, that, that was not Christ's surname. That wasn't his last name. That is a title. So when we say Jesus Christ, we're not saying like Derek Armstrong. No, it's Jesus the Christ. The word Christ is the Greek word Christos, and it is a Greek word that means the anointed one or the chosen one. It's it's the Jewish equivalent of the word Mashiach. And that word is uh, where a Jewish Christian would call him Yeshua HaMashiach, which means Jesus the Messiah. So they're saying this is Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Anointed One. So history knows about Jesus. They know about the man. Ancient trusted Roman historian Tacitus wrote about Jesus and the early church. He also was the one who recorded um, the Emperor Nero's famous burning of Rome, blaming that on the Christians. Um, and, and he wrote about Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, we also see that Pliny the Younger wrote about the early church singing and worshiping Jesus as God. So the early church had an understanding that Jesus was, in fact, deity, that he was God in the flesh. That's how the early church, the first church, worshipped him as such. Um, the Jewish historian Josephus Flavius recorded many things about how the early church regarded Jesus Christ as God. The early church had a clear understanding that Jesus was not just a man. They had a clear understanding that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one that was prophesied about in the Old Testament and all throughout scriptures. All of these things were pointing to him. They understood this and they believed this. And for one who has already made up his or her mind that Jesus is not the Messiah, if that's you today, then no amount of evidence will be convincing. So that's not my, that's not my goal. 
But for those who are honest in asking, the evidence speaks for itself that Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, is more than just a man. You see, there are over 300 Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Over 300 that he fulfilled. It, if just eight of those prophecies were fulfilled, then mathematicians, they put together this following illustration to kind of give us what are the odds. I don't know if a lot of you guys understand different odds. You know, you, you see a lot of that stuff now on like Sports Center and stuff like that. They'll give you, you know, the odds of such and such team winning. Um, the odds of the Milwaukee Bucks winning a championship this next year is through the roof. Um, so anyways, <clears throat> uh, but let's look at the, the eight most popular prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus Christ from the Old Testament. Let's look at those real quick, and you can write these down. Um, one, uh, let's look at this one. Number one, Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. That comes from Micah uh, 5 and 2. Um, that Messiah was, would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11, 12 through 13. Um, that's very specific. Uh, it's very specific. You look, Messiah's clothes would be gambled away in Psalm 22 and 18. Messiah's hands and feet would be pierced, Psalm 22 and 16. Messiah's bones would not be broken, Psalm 32, 34 and 20. Messiah would be born in the tribe of Judah, Isaiah 37 and 31. Messiah would be called from Egypt, Hosea 11 and 1. Messiah would be buried in a rich man's grave, Isaiah 53 and 9. Now, let's stop and think about this, because I, I believe everyone here, to a certain level anyway, some of you more than others, you're smart people, right? Right? I, I've got one or two that I may, you know, I, I may pick on a little bit, but, and they know who they are. So if you're thinking, is it me? It probably is. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I, I, I'm, I'm going to assume for, for just the sake that I love you guys, and I gave you all this big pastoral hug this morning, glad to be back. I'm going to assume we're all smart, okay? And we all are logical, reasonable people. And so think about this. All of these specific things that were fulfilled in Christ 33 and a half years on the earth, that's, that's all he lived on the earth, 33 and a half years, were fulfilled, not just these eight, but so many more that we could point to. But these are kind of the eight more distinguishable ones that we can go, yeah, he, yeah, he did do that, yeah. Yeah, he did do that. These things were all written by different people that never met each other because the other one was dead when the other one wrote it. And they were like separated by hundreds of years. They were separated by, and, and there was, no, th these things weren't all collected in a nice book that you could just go buy at Barnes and Noble and you could just open up and you could just see all these things. It, these things were separated and scattered. And all of these things that were spoken, this is what the Messiah, the one that's coming, this is what he's going to do. This is where he's going to come from. These are some, some significant events that are going to happen. And the reason that God gave those messages to those people and, and inspired those individuals to write those prophetic messages was so that when the one who was the Messiah came, everyone would go, oh yeah, yep, that, that's him. That's, there's another thing. Boom. There's another thing. They would have confidence and that the, the Jewish people would be able to realize that Christ was indeed the Messiah. So they were the most well-educated on all of these things in Scripture. But yet we see that they were despising him and rejecting him because he wasn't coming the way that they wanted him to come. But yet he was fulfilling these things. And some people started catching on and going, wait a minute, this is being fulfilled. And you'll see in the life of Christ, as you read through the Gospels, there are various times where Jesus says, this happened to fulfill this scripture, or I'm doing this so you will know who I am, that I'm not just another man. I'm not just doing this miracle so you'll go, wow, look at this guy I did this miracle. This was incredible. Wow, how did this happen? Though he did it so you would know that he was God. Like, that's different. There, there were people who, who would perform miracles or who you'd see awesome things happen in their lives, and people would marvel at these individuals throughout history. But as you look at Jesus, you say, I'm not doing this so you'll just marvel at what I did. No, I'm wanting to point your eyes and your heart a different direction. I'm wanting you to see who I am. I'm wanting you to see who I am. And he is the Christ, the Messiah, and he's God in the flesh. So let's look at this. These eight things that these mathematicians put together, and they did some, some, some odds here for us. And for the eight of those we just read, to be fulfilled in one person's lifetime, just those eight, not the 300, just the eight. We would fill the entire state of Texas. Anybody been to Tejas? 
Texas, man, I used to live in Texas. Let me tell you, it's big. Texas is huge, right? Texans are proud of how big Texas is and the things in Texas are. It's just huge. Suppose we took Texas and we filled the state of Texas with 100 trillion silver dollars. That would make the entire state about two foot deep full of silver dollars with the square mileage in the state of Texas. Now, we mark one coin, any coin, pick a coin, any coin, and we mark it with a red marker and we throw it into the state of Texas and then we take a giant spoon because it's Texas, so there's one there somewhere, and we stir it up and then we blindfold a random individual. Let's say it's you. We blindfold you and you have one chance to go pick that one red coin that was marked blindfolded. That's the odds that eight prophecies will be fulfilled, separated by thousands of years in one man's lifetime. That are the, that's the odds that this thing came up with. So pretty, pretty slim that you would see eight, but we know that there are confirmed more than eight. That's one of the ways that we can see, wow, Jesus is more than a man. That's what that should tell us. Jesus is more than just a man. But then there's other things too. And this is where you and I step in because, I mean, we can talk about hypotheticals like filling the state of Texas up with silver dollars or, you know, Cheetos or whatever you like. I don't know, Reese's peanut butter cups might be nice if it's, you know. But, I, <laughs> but the thing you and I have experienced is that knowing Jesus changes our present and changes our eternity. Let's take our Bible this morning. Let's go over to Mark chapter 2. If you have your Bible, you can also follow along online. If you have a smartphone with you, um, hop on the Wi-Fi and jump over to the Bible app. It's called YouVersion, and you can look up an event in your area and actually follow along with my notes that I wrote. So Mark chapter 2, let's just read verse 1 through 12. It's a story about a man Jesus healed. And when he, he being Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. So Jesus' house, you know, like where he's at is like just packed to the brim. And he was preaching the word to them. Verse 3. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd... They removed the roof above him, and when they made an opening, they let him down on the bed on which the paralytic lay. Hold the phone. You know how expensive a roof is? I mean, come on. I mean, some of you, some of you insurance guys are thinking, yeah, I, I know what roofs cost, right? Uh, we understand this is, this is a, man, you are destroying someone's property. But these friends of this man who could not walk were so passionate to get to Jesus in hopes that their friend would be healed, that they were willing to tear up some stranger's roof to get to it. Now, you've got to understand these roofs were flat, right, the way that they built homes. And they went up there, and, and all of a sudden, this house is packed, and all of a sudden, you start little dust falls on somebody's head. And they look up, hey, you need to get that looked at, you know, Joey, or, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and, and then the other one says, oh, what's happening, man? Uh, must be raccoons again, you know, or something. And then more happens, and more happens, and all of a sudden, light starts to shine through. Somebody's tearing up my house. Somebody's tearing up my, what is going on? The, the person whose house it was must have been like, what is happening? I hope my insurance covers this, you know? And then all of a sudden, there's a big enough hole, and these guys start with these ropes letting this guy down that can't walk, and that guy's going, don't drop me, buddy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and now, all of a sudden, this gotten all this attention. Jesus has stopped preaching because everybody's distracted, <clears throat> and everyone's eyes are on this man being let down, and, and people know Jesus is about healing people. So there's some excitement going on in the room because people are jazzed up because they know they're about to see a miracle because they know what Jesus has done and they're excited about the miracle of the guy walking. All right, catch this. Listen to this. Pay attention. They're excited about the guy getting up and walking. They're like, these guys, this is, people are probably crying. They're probably like, these friends love this man so much. 
they're going to go to jail after this, but they love this guy, you know, <laughs> and, and they love him so much that they're willing to, to tear up this roof to get him in because they couldn't get him in any other way. They were so passionate for their friend to walk, and that was the goal, was to see a man who could not walk, walk, and they were so excited to see him walk. That seemed to be the goal, and Jesus could do this, and let's see what Jesus did in the middle of stopping this preaching he was doing, verse 3, or verse 4, when they could not get near the house, they removed the roof above him and they made an opening. They let him down. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> what? Hang on a second. Your sins are forgiven? We didn't come here for a sin forgiving. We came here for a walking. Like, <laughs> Like that's, I mean, like, that's great, but we came here so, you know, bro could walk again. And the first thing out of Jesus' mouth is not get up and walk. Wouldn't you think with all the expectation in the room, wouldn't you think with all of the energy and the electricity in the room, the anticipation, wouldn't you think that Jesus would just first thing first, obviously see the need and look at this guy, look at the effort. Look at the emotion in the room and go, man, get up and walk and, and heal this man. But that's not the first thing Jesus said. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Now, let's see what happens next because it's about to get real. Verse 6, some of the scribes, the, the, some of these religious leaders here, they're sitting here and they're questioning in their heart, why does this man speak like this? He blasphemes. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus perceives in his spirit that they questioned within themselves. And he said, he turns to these guys. They didn't say this out loud. They questioned it in their hearts. And Jesus picked up on the questioning that was happening in the scribes' hearts. And this is what he does. He says, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and take your bed and walk? Which one's easier to say? Like, in other words, which do you know is actually legit? Like, okay, get up and walk. Oh, wow, look at that. That's incredible. I obviously see you have some sort of supernatural power if that happened, because someone who couldn't walk before could now walk. That's really impressive. But if you say, hey, your sins are forgiven, it's not like all of a sudden their teeth get whiter or, you know, their eyes get brighter. Ooh, my sins are forgiven. And it's not like they get a new haircut all of a sudden or something. It's nothing physically changes. Are, are you seeing what's happening here? And they had already perceived in their hearts and they had already said, no one can forgive sins but God. And so they knew that this is blasphemy because this man, Jesus, he's claiming to be God at this point. He's about to show them something. He's about to reveal who he truly is. Jesus said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise up and take your bed and walk. Verse 10, this is one of the most like, paya, like, like scriptures in the Bible that just make me want to like do like backflips, like Blues Brothers style down the aisle. I mean, like, this gets me jazzed up when I read this scripture. This is like heavy stuff. Check this out. Jesus says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, pick up your bed and walk and go home. And the man rose up immediately, picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. He said, so you'll know. Think about the genius of our God. Think about the genius in this statement. He was saying, I'm saying, son, your sins are forgiven. These guys get all upset. And then Jesus says, yeah, you're right. No one can forgive sins except for God so that you'll know that I am more than just a man. I've already told him his sins are forgiven. Now, take up your bed and walk. Boom. <laughs> Sandal drop. <laughs> right? 
I mean, come on, somebody. If that don't make you want to shout about some Jesus, I don't know what will. Um, because knowing Jesus, you see what Jesus did, and this is what he does for you and me. Knowing Jesus changes our present and it changes our eternity. You see what Jesus did in this man's life? He did something in a spiritual sense that you could not see. But he did that first. He could have led off with the other. I mean, think if that would have been reversed. People would have been super skeptical. Oh, get up and walk, and oh, by the way, your sins are forgiven. People would have been like, yeah, right. But I mean, like, it's cool that the guy can walk. Maybe it was like a... But he says, hey, your sins are forgiven. He dealt with the man's eternity. We always want Jesus to deal with our now. We always want him to deal with our now. We always want him to deal with the challenges that we're facing right now because that's the thing that we're concerned about often the most. We want, or maybe we just want Jesus to deal with somebody else's now because like they need their now changed. But Jesus dealt with the spiritual eternal thing first. And then he met the present day because guess what this guy as awesome as a miracle as that is that we read about praise god that guy's dead he's not walking now he in the grave his physical body is no longer walking now we believe to be absent from the body is to be present with the lord so you know that's great and all but physically that man stopped walking which means that him walking was not really jesus goal Jesus' goal was so that people would know who he was, and he changed that man's eternity first, and then Jesus moved in and changed his present. People want God to intervene in their lives when there's something happening they don't like or they're suffering. This man is paralytic. Maybe you've had suffering in your life. Maybe you've had challenges in your life, and you want Jesus to change your present. And maybe because Jesus didn't change your present, you chose not to believe that he really was God or that he was really good. Maybe you, you, you're a little too scared to say that he's not God, but in your heart you believe he's not good because your present didn't change when you reached out to Jesus. When you did that thing that that friend that cares about you told you to do when they said, let's pray about this. Let's take this to Jesus because he is good, and I believe that he will hear your cry. Let's ask him to change this situation, whether it was financial, whether it was something in your marriage, whether it was something at work with that jerk boss that you just, or that coworker or that strained relationship, whatever it is. You went to him and said, Jesus, change my present. But have we allowed him to change our eternity by putting our faith and our hope and our trust in Him? Or are we just wanting Him to change our here and now? He will change your here and now, but He's more concerned about your eternity. Can I tell you He's more concerned about the thing that you can't yet see than the thing you can see right now? I can see that in the value system of Jesus right here in this story. I can see that's important to Jesus. And I can see in this story that he is the only one and true God because he's loving us right where we're at. And he's saying, I'm wanting to change your eternity. But we've got to remember, this is who he is. This is what he wants to do. This is what he was sent to do because he healed the man. That's great. But the more important thing was that he forgave him of his sin. So what about your story? What about your story? Have you personally encountered the love of Christ? I mean, to where he's changed your eternity and you know he's changed your forever. Has it changed your present? Because it should. It should change the value system that you have, man. It should change the things that, man, you used to prioritize you. It was all about you. But now all of a sudden, you have a love for, for serving and for other people, and you're like, why do I have this now? Like, I, I mean, and the things you used to be okay with, you're, you're now wrestling with, and you're like, man, that, 
this isn't okay anymore. He's changed me. He's changing my present. And folks, that's going to be our experience as long as we live on this earth. He's going to be changing our present. And he wants to, but he wants to first and foremost change your eternity. Do you know someone who is radically different because of Jesus? Are you radically different because of Jesus? Only God can change the present and the eternal. Amen? And that's real power. I have a friend, um, her name is Adrian, and uh, Adrian <laughs> got introduced to me in a really funny way. Um, back in 2003, I just got hired at a church in Oklahoma to be the youth pastor, okay? And so we're getting to know church people, and um, a lot of people had, um, you know, water toys, like, like, like boats and jet skis and stuff like that, and we lived on a recreational lake in that area, and so... Um, we had a family that was wanting to get to know us, invite us to go with them to, you know, ride their boat and all that stuff like that. And so we went with them to their campsite, and this guy named James, his sister, Adrian, was sitting in a lawn chair, and she had big, dark sunglasses on, and she had this monster dragon tattoo on her back, and she was sitting there in her bathing suit with a hat on, with her sunglasses on, and James, big, tall, country James, you know, big Oklahoma, you know, southern guy goes, he goes, Adrian wants you to meet my new youth pastor at the church. This is Derek and his wife, Holly. And Adrian doesn't even look at us. She goes, hi. <laughs> Adrian is not interested in God. She's not interested in talking to a pastor. She's not interested in meeting the new youth pastor. from She doesn't care. Hi. Okay. I get it. Stay away. <laughs> you know, and so this lady was pretty rough. And she went through all sorts of stuff with drugs, promiscuity, all sorts of stuff. Just, just, just her life was just a, a hot mess. And she was involved in everything you could think of that she thought would make her happy. And it didn't make her happy. And so she said she was going to end it all one day. And so she decided to jump off of a really, really high bridge into the lake and it didn't end up doing anything but bruising her up and, and hurting her. But people had died jumping off that bridge before, but Adrian didn't die. She jumped off the bridge, and at that moment, she felt that she heard the voice of God just speaking to her heart and saying, are you going to quit running from me? And so that very next Sunday, she shows up bruised and everything, and she shows up uh, to come to church, give it a shot. And she says, I'll never forget Derek Armstrong because you were wearing a three-piece bright red suit. <laughs> There's an image for you. <laughs> and, and she said, you came walking right to me. And you said, hi, my name's Derek, you know, or however I talk. And, <laughs> and, 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 uh, and after that, she came back the next week. I invited her to uh, help out with our youth ministry and stuff like that, because I thought it would be a good opportunity to disciple her and to show her you know, things in scripture, and she became very close with my wife and I. She ended up giving her life to Jesus Christ and instantly was changed. I mean, instantly, like the things that used to have a deep hold on her. Like, a oh, matter of fact, Adrian ended up moving with my wife and I to Texas to plant a church where she lived with us for about six months, and she ended up staying there for about four or five years in that area, and then she moved on to do another ministry in Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, where she worked with uh, kids less fortunate and kids that uh, were uh, in the... Uh, foster care system, and now she's building homes to where kids that are transitioning out, out of foster care can come and have a place to live and someone to mentor them and to help them to go into the next phase of life, and she is the leader of this organization called J127, and it's incredible, absolutely incredible, and I joke with her, and I tell her, you remember that day when your brother introduced us, and you were like, hi. I said, you didn't know what God had. She said, actually, I think I was high that day. I don't even remember. <laughs> she, said, she said, I don't even remember meeting you. <laughs> she said, but I remember the bright red suit. <laughs> That's what Jesus can do. Come on, somebody. That's the power of the Holy Spirit at work. That's not a great sermon. That's not a compelling message. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what man can't do. That's what man can't do. 
is change a heart and change a life. But he did it in Adrian's life, and he's done it in mine, and I pray and I hope that he's done it in yours because he wants to change your eternity. And he wants it to reflect in the present. And we grow in that, man. It's not perfect, you know? Sometimes we've got to walk through some things. Sometimes we wrestle with things, and, 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 and we have a hard time putting certain things down and, 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 and learning to walk this new life, and that's okay. That doesn't mean you're a horrible person. It, it just means that, that you're learning how to, how to deny your selfish flesh and live to please God. And, and that's why we're here, to help each other to do that. That's why church community is so important. That's why getting connected with other believers is so important. That's why serving together is so important. Because as we do these things, we're around others that are sharpening us, encouraging us doing what the Bible says when it says to spur one another on to good works. This is how I know that Jesus is God because all the evidence that we can look at is great, but one of the greatest evidences, I think, is a changed life. Amen? Amen. These evidences are great, but I, I want to tell you that our faith should not be in the evidences necessarily that we went over earlier today, these things may not convince a skeptic, but perhaps these things will cause you to think. Maybe you'll leave here today just thinking a little differently than you did before. Maybe you've got some things to chew on today. Maybe someone watching online has got some things to think about that maybe you haven't thought about in a while. These things are not things that I gave you so you could go load up your super spiritual gun and you could just go to work the next day and let everybody know, I've got, I've got new ammunition for a conversation with that atheist coworker. Right. Guess what Pastor Derek said? Well, boom, 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 300. There's something about silver dollars that don't know what it is, but believe in Jesus. <clears throat> like, this is not so you can go do that. That's not the purpose of this message, is for you to go have a confrontation with an atheist. Love the atheist. Hello? Love the agnostic right where they're at. And when you have opportunity, speak truth. But don't get caught up in foolish controversy. Don't get caught up in that foolishness. You're, not, you're, you're just both going to walk away feeling more right. And you feel like you did something for Jesus, and Jesus is just going. Because <laughs> he doesn't need our help. <laughs> he just needs us to love people with the love that he's loved us with. So here's the thing. The biggest evidence for the believer, the true follower of Christ is the fact that the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to see the truth of Jesus. And that truth has made you free. That truth has made you free. Because the Holy Spirit draws us to Jesus today. That's what he does. The Holy Spirit of God draws us to Jesus today. The Holy Spirit, Scripture says, bears witness with us that we belong to God because of faith in Christ alone. Faith that Jesus was fully man, yes. And he was also fully God. Faith that he alone took the punishment you and I deserve because of our sin by dying that gruesome death on the cross and then three days later rising from the grave over in Titus. You can write this one down if you want. I'm just going to jump over there real quick. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 says, Jesus saved us not because of works alone by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration through renewal of the Holy Spirit. He didn't save you through your works of righteousness. He didn't save you because of your good deeds. No, he saved you because of his mercy. And his Holy Spirit, Scripture says, renewed us, drew us to that message. And it's changed us. And it's changed my forever. And it's changed my present. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. God isn't interested in how good or bad of a boy or girl you've been. He wants to know if you have received this free gift of salvation that comes through faith alone in Christ because there's no other way. Jesus said in John 6 and 44, this was Jesus speaking. So if Jesus is God, when he speaks, we need to perk up. Jesus said in John 6 and 44, no one can come to God except by me. In John 14 and 9, Jesus said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus said he was before Abraham, letting us know he's God. He's the way to everlasting life. 
And if you're sensing a tug in your heart or if you are being stirred in your heart to do something, I'm going to ask that those of you who are on our prayer team, if you would come forward so people can come at the end of this service, if you would love to have prayer. And if someone doesn't feel ready or doesn't feel the need for, to someone to pray with them, that's okay. If you're online, connect with our moderator. Put your faith and your hope in Christ. Because Scripture says we should confess with our mouths. We should believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, that He's God, that He's the leader of my life. And if we repent and if we ask for forgiveness of our sins and if we ask the Holy Spirit to give us that new life, to renew us by us putting our faith and trust in Christ to make us new, that's what He's drawing us to. He's not interested in religious ritual where you just say and do everything right. Oh, I said the thing, I did the thing, I'm good. No, he's not interested in you just going through the motions. He wants you right now just as you are because he's interested in you, not rituals. No pretense, no trying to just get the words right, no repeat after me, no raising your hand, no class to attend, no form to sign. You see, he loves you. He wants you just to be real with him right now and do business with God right now. So can you bow your heads in this place? And can my prayer team, can you guys go ahead and come up? I just want you to bow your heads for a moment and do business with God right now. You and God, nobody else. This isn't about the person sitting next to you. You see, he loves you so much right where you are and he knows what you've done. And listen, you are not second class in his eyes. Can I say that again to you today? That you are not second class in his eyes? There are no such thing as second rate, second class citizens of heaven. He knows what you've done, and guess what? He knows what I've done too. And we all need Jesus, and we never stop needing Jesus. His love is overwhelming, and he wants you to know that his love has no end. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to serve Him. He wants you to live for Him and show others that you have found value in serving Christ alone. So my question for you today is, today that day for you? Those of you online, interact with your moderator. Is today that day for you? Those of you in this room right now, is today the day for you? Those of you sitting out in the commons area, don't disconnect just because you're sitting in the commons. Is today the day for you? Do business with God. Is today the day where your forever is changed by the power of the Holy Spirit? Is today the day where you have that encounter with the Lord and it changes your eternity? We would love to pray with you. We'd love to pray for you. So would you stand this morning?